Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Model Lyme Disease Awareness Advocate, an interview with Jacqueline Spacito. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is the dynamic Jacqueline Spacito. Jacqueline Spacito is a model, a college student, a social media influencer, and a Lyme disease awareness advocate from New York City. This brilliant young woman began to tackle the bright lights and the big city when she became a full-time model at the age of 16. While developing her modeling career, she also honored her parents' request to attend college as a full-time student. Her busy schedule included national and international travel. The young woman with unlimited potential hit a wall on August 23, 2016. While traveling to Los Angeles, she began to feel flu symptoms that came on so quickly that she had to be hospitalized. When her symptoms did not improve, she was flown home to New York City, where a subsequent hospitalization resulted in a Lyme disease diagnosis. Despite antibiotic treatment, Ms. Facito's health continued to decline. After visiting four infectious disease doctors to no avail, she was again hospitalized and quietly urged to seek out a famous Lyme specialist, Dr. Daniel Cameron. Ms. Facito credits her mother, the brave public outreach of Lyme disease activist Yolanda Hadid, and the medical professional that referred her to Dr. Cameron with saving her life. To give back to the community that supported her during her crisis, Jacqueline Spacito utilized her vast talents to become a passionate voice in the Lyme community. Through her social media platforms that exceed 50,000 followers, she shares her good and her bad moments to advocate for Lyme disease awareness and to inspire the chronically ill to turn sickness into health. Welcome, Jacqueline Spacito. Hi, guys. Thank you guys so much for having me on your podcast. Well, thank you for joining our podcast. So, Jacqueline, we'd like you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background before you were suffering from a tick disease. Sure. I was diagnosed with Lyme at 19 years old. So before, I uh, was a full-time student in New York City, and I lived in New York City with one of my best friends. We um, lived together, and I was going to school full-time, and I was also modeling full-time at the time. In addition to that, I was also in the process of getting my real estate license. I lived a very like active life. So I had modeled full-time during the day, and then I went to school full-time at night, and then on the weekends, I was getting my real estate license. And in between all of that, I was traveling for work, traveling with family, traveling with friends. I just lived a very, very active life. I mean, I was 19 in New York City, so there's a lot to do, and um, I've always been a very like ambitious, I would say, and motivated person, so I didn't really spend, a, I, I wasn't a, really a big homebody. I like to be active and do as much as I could and learn as much as I could at the time. Jacqueline, while you were doing it all, clearly doing it all, I don't know when you found time to sleep, what were your desires? Yeah, at that point, I mean, I was a sophomore in, a sophomore in college, I would say. School was really important to me. Getting an education, getting my degree was a fundamental thing um, and something that I was working towards, obviously. I was taking a full course load. Um, and modeling was a passion of mine that I allowed my parents allowed me to do as long as I was in school full-time on the side. So it was, you know, I obviously loved modeling. It was fun at the time. And I really met some amazing people. And it was more of a passion. And then school was one of my primary goals. It was important to, you know, make good grades, learn a lot. And then getting my real estate license was kind of something that I just decided to do on my own. My dad has a background in real estate. So I, I figured that it's, you know, I'll never regret having my license. And I figured that maybe I would want to transition away from modeling and kind of go into the more of the brokerage or development end of things in the real estate industry, either assisting my dad or working as a broker in Manhattan. And yeah, I was just 19, but I had graduated high school at 16. So at that point, I had already worked in fashion for about six to eight months in New York City. And I worked in wealth management. Um, and I had been modeling for about a year and a half at that point. 
So I was kind of, you know, transitioning, figuring out where I want to, where I, where I want to go with my life. Um, and at that point, before I got sick, I was leaning towards more a career in real estate. So Jacqueline, how did this all sort of come to a screeching halt? I had, like I said, lived an active life, was traveling a lot. And when I actually, I never forget the day, it was August 23rd of 2016, was the day that I really started feeling like something was very wrong. At the time, you know, that's obviously the summertime. And I was doing a lot of travel. I was traveling that summer. My family and I had went to Europe for two weeks in the beginning of August. And then in the beginning, and then in the middle of July, I had gone to Europe for two weeks with friends. And so I had done like a lot of traveling that summer. And so I was kind of finishing out my summer with more travels before I got back into my school semester and before I uh, had to go back to New York City for Fashion Week and kind of start working again. The summer is a little bit of a slower time with the modeling and with everything. And I was in LA with friends. And very, in the beginning of the trip, I started noticing that I would just randomly kind of get nauseous. Like something was a little bit weird. But at the time, I didn't think much of it. I thought like, okay, you need to just eat more food quick solution. Maybe you're not eating enough. Maybe you just need to up your calorie intake, just eat more fatty foods. Maybe it'll give you more energy or whatnot. Very quickly on that trip, I began to kind of deteriorate. So I started to like, after a week of being in LA, I started to kind of get like your common cold, runny nose, sneezing, eyes, GIs, coughing. It was just like your average cold. And so I figured, okay, like that's going to go away. But then really weird symptoms started to develop on top of that. I started to feel like I was floating almost like when I was walking, I didn't feel like I was like in my body. Like I felt like I was very disconnected and like lightheaded and a floaty type of a feeling. And then started to get more and more intense where when I was sitting down and if I were wearing like a pair of jeans, let's say I started feeling like the circulation in my legs was being cut off. I remember distinctively, I was in LA at my friend's house and we were watching a movie and I had told her, I was like, I feel so weird. If something, if God forbid I pass out or something, like, please just, you know, just like take me to the hospital, like brushing it off, like it's no big deal. But I remember thinking like, I'm sitting down right now and I feel like I'm going to pass out. Like that's not normal. Something's really wrong. And over the next few days, it just continued to get more and more intense to the point where I would say a day later, two days later, I woke up in the middle of the night and my arms went completely numb or like I couldn't move them. And I was drenched in like sweat. And uh, I started feeling like I was going to have seizures and stuff like that. So different neurological symptoms kind of started to develop. And it just was it was a not even gradual, a very quick progression. I would say it was about a week from being like, from thinking that I had a cold to being bedridden pretty much. And I know that's kind of rare. I haven't, I mean, I've only met a few people like me who their symptoms came on that quickly, but it was very instantaneous. The level in which I deteriorated was very instantaneous. Like looking back on it now, I, I did, I do realize that I was more lethargic than usual and the nausea and feeling lightheaded at some points, but I never paid attention because I figured you're just living an active life. It's no big deal. And I've never been the kind of person to ever take medicine when I'm sick or to, or to ever exaggerate when I'm sick. I actually was always very much wouldn't go to the doctor just for like your common cold. I would, I really believed in just, you know, powering through treating your body with healthy things and you'll get better naturally. And so I had always been kind of just resilient and never thought, you know, never looked too much into little things like that. Do you know when you got bitten by the tick? Do you think it was in New York? Do you think it was in Europe? Do you think it was in LA? When do you think you were bitten by the tick? 
I don't know. Um, I don't have an answer to this day because I never, I never had a rash. I never saw the tick on me. My theory, honestly, was that it probably happened maybe when I was in sleepaway camp when I was like 13, 14 years old because my doctor who does a lot of muscle testing, she had told me that I have a very weird or rare Lyme disease. She said that she doesn't see the patterns in my Lyme disease that she does from people in the Northeast, as in like the Hamptons or, you know, Connecticut, upstate New York. She said that my symptoms tend to be from a different type of a tick. Do you think it's possible that you, you had been harboring the bacteria for a long period of time? I do. I do think so because my symptoms for them to, ha- for them to have been as strong as they were, were even though it was a really short period of time, it's probably 10 days from being pretty active to bedridden. I, I, I think in my heart that it must have been festering for a long time and that the lifestyle, the really active lifestyle I was li- living, traveling here, traveling there, working full time, going to school, I think it kind of just all started to be too much for my body. And that's what, that's what, that's when the symptoms presented. And when they did present, they were very strong. Jacqueline, going back to your time in LA, so you quickly got worse and worse and worse. What happened at the end of that trip? As I was getting worse and worse, I began to call my parents because I was like, something's not right. Like, this is not a common cold anymore. And of course, the first thing that they told me to do was to go to the emergency room. So I went to the emergency room and I was told that I was just dehydrated and that there was really nothing else wrong, nothing to be concerned about. So I left and I told my parents, I was like, well, maybe it's dehydration. Like I only had maybe five or six more days in LA with my friends. So I was thinking, let's just see how I do over the course of the trip. And there's no need to panic at this point, even though I knew something was really not right, but I didn't, I mean, I was 19 and healthy. I didn't think it was anything so serious. I figured there's going to, something's going to, you know, it's going to be resolved. You you don't really think that your life is going to change in a matter of however long it did when you're, when you're that age. So I, but, but, but shortly after leaving the hospital, I noticed that it wasn't getting better within a day or two, my symptoms were getting stronger and stronger. And that's when I like called my parents, we, 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 we kept in contact and they made me fly home immediately. So lucky enough, one of my best girlfriends, she was so kind to leave the trip early with me. And she actually flew home with me. Cause at that point I was not in a position to fly by myself. And even the flight home, I had remember thinking, you know, I really hope I don't have a seizure on this flight. Like just make it home, just make it home. As soon as I got home, my mom had already booked doctor's appointments for me while I was in LA. No, she could tell just from FaceTiming and hearing my voice that something was really wrong. She knows that I don't complain, like I said, very often when I'm sick. I mean, I, I was the type of girl where when I got a headache, I wouldn't even take Advil. Like, I'm really against taking any type of medicine. I, it wasn't my thing. And so she knew something was really wrong for me to fly home. And, and what I was complaining of, how my arms were going numb, I was sweating. I felt like I was having seizures. She knew that this wasn't you know, a cold at this point, something was very wrong. So she had booked an appointment with my primary care doctor. I flew home and I went straight to my parents' house in Connecticut. Um, And that Monday, luckily we were able to get an appointment with my doctor. And that's when she asked her to do a ton of blood work on me and had been the one to ask my doctor to test me for Lyme disease. My doctor actually told my mom at the time, she was like, you're crazy. Like, there's no way this is Lyme disease. Like, I'll do it for, you know, she had been my family doctor for like 18 years at that point. So she's like, Sasha, I'll do it for you for your peace of mind. But this is unnecessary. She does not have Lyme disease. And my mom literally, I mean, we've never had an experience with Lyme disease in our family. Nobody, none of my cousins or uh, family members or friends, we've never had someone close to us have been afflicted with Lyme. But she was an avid watcher of the Beverly Hills Housewives. And Yolanda Hadid had shared her story very publicly. And my mom told me after, you know, after my blood work came back and was positive, she was like, I didn't want to freak you out. But when I saw you immediately after you got home from the airport, and and call it a mother's intuition, I guess, her initial instinct was, oh, my God, her face, the tightness in her face, that confused look, that pain look. 
she felt like it looked so similar to Yolanda Hadid. And that was kind of, that was the reason that she asked for me to be tested for Lyme. And your, your family doctor really just humored your mother at the time because you went to her for so long saying, I'll run it, but she doesn't have Lyme disease. Yeah, yeah, correct. And of course, you know, I guess six, seven days later, the test comes back and you have Lyme, right? I did. It was slightly positive, which we all know that the uh, two primary tests, the Western blot and the ELISA, are not extremely accurate. So quote unquote, slightly positive. But when she called me, she, she was like, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked. I don't know what to say. I don't know how this could be causing your symptoms, but I'm going to give you a month's dose of doxycycline just to be, you know, just to be like conservative with your treatment and to make sure that we really like don't leave, that there's no chance that it'll get worse. You'll be completely healed in a month was what I was told. So at that point I was like, oh my God, okay. Like I'm going to get better. I'm so, I'm, I'm hopeful that, okay, I'm going to go live my life in one month. I'm going to be able to model and to go to school and to like, you know, I was already planning things a month out. I was like, this is all going to get better. It's going to go away. And that one month treatment didn't do anything. In fact, I think by the end of the one month antibiotic treatment, I was in a worse place than when I had begun. And now knowing what I know, that's obviously because of, you know, Herx's reactions and because doxycycline in and of itself for one month is not enough to cure neurological Lyme disease or really Lyme disease in general, especially those with co-infections. Right. And Jacqueline, that's because the antibiotics, especially the oral antibiotics, cannot break the blood-brain barrier and therefore can't really help treat the neurological Lyme disease. Exactly. And at that time, we were, you know, it was more of like, okay, she has Lyme. She'll be fine within two to four weeks. I didn't even know at that point there could possibly be co-infections involved. I didn't realize that there had been, that there's chronic Lyme, late stage Lyme, neurological. I didn't know anything really about Lyme disease. I really, I, yes, I'd seen Yolanda's journey, but at 19, like I said, you don't think that that's going to happen to me. Like that's, that's what I'm going to go through. And I'm going to, I'm going to feel the same way. I'm going to experience that. When you're that age, you really think you're invincible. You really don't think, you know, especially when you go from being perfectly healthy to that. It was, it was really hard to accept the fact that my life changed within what felt like a week period. Obviously, the Lyme had been brewing for much longer than a week, but the symptoms came on so fast. And that is because of the lifestyle I think that I had at that point. I was just running myself down. You know, I didn't really accept it, I would say, for a little while. The scary reality of this is everybody's at risk for Lyme disease, no matter where you live, who you are, what age you are, everybody's at risk for Lyme disease. And not just Lyme disease, all these other tick diseases, the viruses that are associated with ticks. And people need to understand that that Lyme does exist in California. It exists over in Europe and it exists all throughout the world. Uh-huh. Exactly. It's not, people have a very strong misconception that not a lot of people are diagnosed with Lyme. It's not really, you know, it's like you can, you can be cured in two weeks or a month. Or part of the reason why I do this and why I speak so publicly is because we need to better educate people and to, and to get the word out there more. Over 400,000 people are diagnosed every year. And those are just people that are, that are reported to the CDC or whatnot. So it's, it's way larger than, it's, a larger, it's on a larger scale than we even know and, and understand. And the reality is that it's continuing to get worse and worse. And like you said, it's not isolated to the Northeast or it's not isolated to these heavy grassland areas. I mean, it's in Florida, it's in California, it's everywhere. Going back to your journey, after your one month of doxycycline and you're not feeling better, you go back to your, your family primary care doctor and what did they say? So I had been keeping her posted with my uh, progress. And by the time that we had went back for a follow-up visit, she had started immediately saying that, maybe we needed to look into other things such as depression or chronic fatigue. She was asking me, you know, if I was happy with my life, if I um, was fulfilled. And it was baffling to me because I was like, I had thought to myself, 
again, I'm so young. I'm in like the prime. Like I'm, I have the best friends. I have, I have amazing things going on in my life. How would you think that I would choose this, that I would make up these symptoms or say these things and want to be sick almost? Like I wanted to fly home from California to spend a month at home, unable to even walk or leave my house. So it was disheartening, especially because you feel then like nobody believes you. And that was something that I struggled with. Like obviously Lyme is an invisible illness. So on the outside, I looked completely fine. And so it's hard for people to understand how much you're suffering on the inside. You know that this is not a mental health issue and you know you're sick. So you then go yeah. over the next month to see four different infectious disease doctors. And what did they say to you? Yep. Yep. And my mom knew at the time too, by the way, she knew as soon as my doctor mentioned depression, my mom was like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Like I can see it in your face. She knew immediately. And so my mom had already, like, like you said, the four infectious disease doctors, she had been scheduling appointments because she knew that we were not getting the right attention or care that we needed. And the saddest part about seeing the infectious disease doctors, and I really like from my personal opinion, I discourage anyone from seeing an infectious, infectious disease doctor when it comes to Lyme, just because I have not had one positive experience with infectious disease doctors. And I know many friends of mine in the Lyme community feel the same way, but legitimately all four of them had looked at my blood work and had told me that the line was not the culprit for how I was feeling. And one doctor in particular looked at me, sat down and was like, you don't have Lyme. You don't have Lyme. Nothing's wrong with you. I mean, we can do blood work if you want, but like, you're completely fine. I see people like you all of the time who think that they have Lyme disease, but in actuality, you're completely fine. Lyme is like a figment of your imagination. He basically said it was like a disease that, you know, we were making up or perpetuating and not, and that was probably the most demoralizing appointment I ever had. I remember just bawling, crying, and I couldn't even finish. I had to walk out and let my mom finish speaking to him because it wasn't coming from a good place. It wasn't, it wasn't acknowledging how I feel and saying, let's test you for more things. We're going to figure this out. It was basically a doctor telling me that people like me who complain that we have Lyme disease are crazy. You know, when you feel like you're dying inside and you feel hopeless and you feel like if you don't find treatment and you don't figure out what is causing this, it's not the result is not going to be well so for someone to shut you down like that and to say that was at that time I saw my life flash before my eyes and I was like if this is the help that I'm going to get then it's going to be too late before people realize that something is really wrong here so Jacqueline I I want to pause here for a minute because there are a couple of heroes that I think we have to recognize and you're downloading an unbelievable amount of brilliant information but I don't want to gloss over the importance that your mother played in supporting you through this journey so she is superhero mm -hmm. number 1 and I think we also have to recognize that Yolanda Hadid has been very brave in sharing her journey, and she really is yeah. hero number two in your journey. Absolutely. The two of them, I, always, I, I really always give credit to my mother and Yolanda. When people ask me who my biggest inspiration in the Lyme community is, it's very obvious that it's Yolanda Hadid. She really paved the way when at the time, if you go back and watch The Housewives, people were questioning that she had Munchausen syndrome. She paved a path for us fellow Limeys now to have a community where people believe us and where doctors are becoming more Lyme literate. Huge props to her. And my mom will even say, you know, had she not spoken so publicly on the show and raised the awareness that she did, we would have never known to, to, to ask for a Lyme disease test. So the two of them are definitely my heroes. And I know people in this community struggle with getting an early diagnosis. And I truly believe that my diagnosis that came so quickly was because of Yolanda. So yeah, for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Jacqueline, you're in your second month from being sick. You're seeing these four infectious disease doctors. They're not helping you at all. And you're in and out of the hospital. So can you describe that journey? Yeah. So at that point when, I mean, nobody was really giving me much guidance and I was continuing to deteriorate more and more. 
Um, my symptoms have always been very neurological. So I felt a lot of tremors, seizure-like feelings, pain in my brain. It almost felt like poison was kind of soaking through the veins in my brain. I felt inflammation. I was sensitive to noise, light, and sound. Um, I couldn't really leave the house without feeling like I was going to pass out. It got so bad to the point where my mom and my dad really had to like carry me to the car just to get me to appointments. I was so weak at that point. It was so hard to survive in your everyday life. It was easier for me to be in a dark room by myself. That was the only place I could feel some source of comfort. And so, yeah, I was in and out of the hospital a lot at that point. I would say about two times a week. I will never forget, I think, what was pivotal for me is one of those visits to the hospital I had told the doctor, I was like, I'm going to have a seizure. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not stable. Like, something is going to happen if I don't get help. I'm telling you guys, it's not in my head. And I was just begging them to believe me, begging them to, to understand that something inside was really not right, even though my vitals were okay. And my, you know, obviously, even if you have Lyme, your vitals are perfectly fine. Your blood work typically comes back pretty normal. It's hard to detect. And there was one doctor at the hospital. She had seen my Lyme test. And so she had come to, to speak to me and my mom. And she really said, she had said, please don't neglect the positive Lyme test. People don't understand how debilitating it can be. I really recommend that you go see this Lyme literate doctor, who at the time was Dr. Cameron, um, who was in Mount Kisco, New York. She had previously been his, one of his nurses. So she was the one that really gave us the push to not ignore the Lyme disease. She was like, people just don't know enough about it. And I understand that a lot of people are brushing off the line and telling you it's not possible for you to feel this way. But I'm telling you, it is possible that this is causing these symptoms. So Jacqueline, you really, you, you started feeling sick very quickly. It progressed very, very fast. That was sort of the wall that you hit. You had this epiphany where I have Lyme disease, despite what your family doctor said. The plan was yeah. a month of oxycycline, then you're going to move on with your life. So much so where you actually mm -hmm. believe that and start to plan your life. But then now you have this... Yeah other conflict where I'm not better. What do I do? They're saying I'm crazy. And then finally mm -hmm. find this great doctor who is, I think the best doctor in the Lyme community. And I actually have spoken with him, Dr. Cameron mm -hmm. in upstate New York yeah. and, and is amazing. And you start to see him yeah. for better treatment for Lyme. So can you walk us through that journey with Dr. Cameron? Yes, of course. Yeah. Dr. Cameron, I, I will, uh, I will always give him credit. I think at the time he truly was the one who like saved my life. And, and, and to most, that sounds so exaggerative, but I'm being completely honest when I say that if I wouldn't have gotten treatment, I don't think I would have lived a lot longer. I could feel it spreading throughout my body at a very rapid rate. Every day was getting worse and worse and worse. There was no glimpse of hope at that point. And I definitely think his combination, he, he obviously specializes in Western medicine, and he put me on a combination of like azithromycin and malarone at the time to start me off, paired with a probiotic, of course, to protect, protect my gut. And... He really, I credit him for stopping the infection from spreading and kind of slowly giving me a little bit of my life back. It definitely slowed things down. I definitely started to feel a little bit more stable. I could sleep more throughout the night. I didn't feel like I was going to have seizures and force myself to stay up till 5 a.m. and have insomnia. It was the beginning of the path to healing. The path to healing for me has been a three plus year journey. So I started being treated by Dr. Cameron in November of 2016, and we're currently in June of 2019, and I'm still being treated, just not the same way with Western medicine. But so I think the biggest misconception is that this is something that you'll be healed from in like one month. It's important to remember that people, I mean, there is a difference between just having Lyme and also having Lyme and co-infections. Sometimes Lyme, if it's, if it's an early infection, yes, you can be treated in, in, you know, two weeks, four weeks, you can heal completely. It depends on the severity of the Lyme. If it's neurological, has it, has it broken the blood-brain barrier? 
and do you have co-infections? And at the time, Dr. Cameron obviously put me on the Malarone, which is an anti-malaria pill, and that is very commonly used for treating Babesia. So he was very much convinced that I had, you know, at least one, if not maybe three or four co-infections. And once you start getting into the co-infection realm, it becomes significantly harder to treat this and to cure it. So that's one thing that I think is really important to note as well. It's not as black and white as people think. Now, once you are going through this antibiotic therapy, you recover your health about 30% and you find a new therapy that sort of really took you to the next level. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I basically, I was on antibiotics, I would say for about a year and a half. It was long-term antibiotics. Some people have their uh, thoughts about that, opinions about that, if that's good or not. For me at the time, it was really the only solution. I had, we had looked into a lot of other therapies. Um, I had tried a few IVs at the time, maybe, but nothing really was helping significantly. But so yeah, I was on the malware and azithromycin combination. I, I had been on a combination of those three, I would say, for about a year. And we got to the point where we were like, let's take a few months off of antibiotics at this point, and let's see how my body is able to, to react on its own without relying on the medicine. So I would say for about three months, I was operating maybe at maybe 50% at that point, doing a little bit better, still spending majority of my life indoors. I was not going, I, I had to drop out of school, obviously had to stop working. I was pretty much bedridden for a solid two and two year period. When I stopped the antibiotics, I had still, I would say spending 80% of my time indoors, but maybe 20% I was able to do a few things every now and again, but the infection kind of came back. My symptoms came back, not shortly after within three months of stopping the antibiotics that we had been on for a year, they came back and it almost in some ways felt stronger than when I had stopped. So that's when we decided to start me on an IV and I had a pick line inserted into my arm and I tried an IV antibiotics, which I believe was ceftriaxone or Rocephin. I don't remember exactly. That is when we started IV medicine. And that I would say, it, I mean, it was necessary because most people know IV antibiotics. That's what really penetrates the blood brain barrier. And if you have neurological Lyme disease, it's extremely important in order to kill some of the bacteria. But at the time, it kind of made me really sick because my immune system was so shot at that point. And it's, you know, antibiotics, while they're great, they kill bacteria, they also kill good bacteria, and they also weaken your immune system, which is centered in your gut. And so the antibiotics at that point had just weakened my immune system so much that although they were killing the bacteria that was necessary for me to get better, I was also becoming extremely weak and getting to a point where I was, you know, even worse. I would say one of the, the darkest moments for me was being on IV antibiotics it got to the point where I really like couldn't even leave my house to walk down the block. I couldn't even go to Starbucks to grab an iced tea. I couldn't, I had zero quality of living. I was on the couch all day, every day. I remember one day I wanted to organize my pantry just to give me something to do. And I literally almost passed out right on, on the kitchen floor. So it was a really hard time. And by the time that we, were, we had been on the antibiotics for three months and it was getting worse and worse. And obviously we were pulsing. So I didn't do the antibiotics every single day. We had days that I took off and days that I did it, but I was not getting to a good point. And I felt as if the Lyme was like taking over my body more and more and more. So that is what kind of brought me into the last treatment that I did and that I've been doing now for over a year called low dose immunotherapy. And immunotherapy in and of itself is a cancer treatment. And in low doses, it's actually really helpful in treating chronic illness, Lyme disease. And so it was a friend of mine, he had seen the state that I was in, and he knew how sick I was. And he had recently tried low dose immunotherapy for himself. And at this point, because I was so sick, I was really looking into going away for eight weeks to a clinic in Arizona in Vita. But I just, this was a local remedy. This doctor was in the Hamptons. I had spoken to three patients who had been seen by her and they all claimed that she changed their life, that she saved their life. So it was worth it to me to give that a chance before going to Invita because 
the, the reality is that I really didn't know if I even would make it through in Vita at that point. And I'm not saying that to be exaggerative or uh, for people to, to feel bad or anything. I was just, I was so sick at that point. I really didn't see myself living very much longer. Um, and it's something that I stand by today. And I look back at my, on myself and I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that I, I made it through that, that point because it was so, so bad. But so I shortly after started trying the low dose immunotherapy, which was difficult to explain to my parents because like I said, it, there's not much known about it. It is a newer therapy. It's not as common. It's not your traditional Western medicine. So there's obviously, I think, a little bit more uncertainty or unknown risks associated with it. But it has been something that has completely changed my life. With before this, like I said, I was in one of the lowest, darkest places, and I didn't think I had a long time to live. And this, within a year, I've been doing it. And it's been a slow, obviously, a gradual transformation. But I have been able to be back in school, which is a huge, huge accomplishment, something that I didn't know if I would ever be able to do again. And I'm even working on my own initiatives at home now. I'm able to do things from my computer and live a more normal life. I've had more of a social life. I've been able to attend events and stuff that I never, ever, ever thought I would again. I just want to understand the thought process behind the low-dose immunotherapy. Is it that your immune system was so defeated from all the antibiotics for the year plus between the oral antibiotics and the, and the IV antibiotics that you needed to strengthen your immune system so you can be healthier, so your body can actually combat and put the Lyme into remission? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, and, and low dose immunotherapy basically has antigens of whatever bacteria you have, whatever um, illness you have. So basically, it allows your body to recognize those as invaders and actually attack the bacteria head on. So you're actually killing the bacteria and you're improving your immune system. So all around, it's a way of really um, kind of rebuilding your body. It almost seems like that's probably going to be a consideration for future treatment that would work way better than antibiotics. Yeah. It is. I would like to learn more about how it impacts people with cancer because that, like I said, immunotherapy in and of itself is a cancer treatment. But seeing how much it's benefited me with Lyme disease, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how it could benefit other people as well who are struggling from other illness. Jacqueline, how are you today? Well, I, I've had a little bit of a setback, I would say, for the past two and a half months. I would say I had like a year of where I was doing extremely, extremely well. And then I caught bronchitis. I had like a very heavy, bad chest infection. And I am not taking any antibiotics to combat that. It's basically been my low-dose immunotherapy plus my supplements and a lot of resting and eating healthy and stuff. Because for me, antibiotics now or any type of a steroid, you know, they had given me an inhaler for my breathing. And anything like that is very detrimental to me. It will set my line back tremendously. So... I kind of have not been feeling as well to be completely honest and transparent for about two and a half months now, but I'm hopeful that given another month, maybe another month and a half, however long it takes, I am hopeful that I'm going to continue to be on a good path. When I was doing well earlier this year, I, yes, I've, I've been back in school now for two consecutive semesters and a winter semester. So that for me has been a huge accomplishment and something that I didn't really ever think I would do again. And not only was I back in school, but I was taking five classes. So it's a full course load. So that has been something that's been an incredible feeling for me. I feel like I'm finally getting my life back little by little. And earlier this year, I actually was able to attend Coachella, which is a music festival in California. And that was something that I never, ever, if you would have asked me a year ago, year and a half ago, I never would have ever imagined that I would be able to do something like that again in my life. Obviously, I, I don't attend these things like a normal person. I, I still don't drink at all. I, I, I have not had a sip of alcohol in three years because it weakens my immune system and I feel it in my brain. A lot of my symptoms have been neurological and obviously alcohol changes the chemical balance in your brain and so it does not work for me. And I have to be more cautious. I have to, you know, make smart decisions. Even if I'm at a festival, I wear earplugs. That way it's not too loud for me. I wear glasses. So I definitely have altered my lifestyle. I, I wouldn't say that I'm operating at 100%. I would say earlier this year I was operating at about 80%, which is incredible 
for a lot of people with chronic neurological Lyme. Can you talk to our audience about how you're able to continue to do the outreach that you're doing so that folks can learn from your experience? Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's been one of those things that, like, I feel like it's, it's not even an option. It's like, it's a necessity. Like, I do believe in everything happening for a reason. I don't think I'm a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. And I, I do know that there must be a greater good. There has to be something good that comes from this. And if that's helping other people, then that's fulfilling enough. And I don't think I would be nearly as fulfilled if I weren't honest and open about my journey. Because like I said, Yolanda is the one that changed my life. I mean, at that time, I felt so alone. I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't know what was happening to me. And I was really young. So it is so important to have people who speak up openly about it, share their journey so that you don't, so that you know that you're not alone and who you can connect with and talk to. And I make my page a very open platform. Anybody who reaches out to me, I always try to respond to them. I always try to be a source of support, positivity. And also on my page, I like to show the good and the bad. There, it, it is hard because it's a double-edged sword. And my friends, will, and, my friends and I in the Lyme community say this all the time, as you start to recover and you're doing better and better, it's hard because you, you know, if I post a photo of, of me being at Coachella, I feel guilty because for example, the last two months I have not left my house. I've not been in a good place. So I do feel a little guilty because I don't want to portray the wrong image either where people think, oh, she went to Coachella. She's completely fine. She's normal. My life isn't like that yet. I'm not at a hundred percent and I'm not in a place where I'm a perfectly normal human being like I was before I got sick. I've yet to return to, to that person I was yet. But I do also want to showcase with enough treatment and enough persistence, you will get to that place where you will be able to share moments like that again and to do things like that again, things that I never thought I'd be able to do. So I do try to just be very honest and open on my page and show the good and the bad. And, and I want people to, to know that I understand it and I get it because it is hard for people without Lyme disease to fully understand. I still get judgments from my friends who don't have Lyme. They don't believe that I'm as sick as I am or they don't understand how for two months I stay at home now, but I was able to go to that event. It's still hard to explain and hard for people to fully understand. Well, I think, I think with folks like you, it will be easier for people to understand because as more of you brave limeys share as openly and honestly as you are, there will be a better understanding. So I thank you for doing that, Jacqueline, even though unfortunately you're feeling judgment and thank you so much for being willing to do that. It means a lot to hear that. Hopefully that people are feeling inspired or gaining something from me sharing my story. I have one more question for you, Jacqueline. Can mm -hmm. you share with our listeners what advice you would give to someone who is not sick? Be honest, this is complete transparency. Your page spells it out completely, the steps to take when sitting by a tick. I went through it on your tick boot camp website. And honestly, that is like the best way of going about it if they happen to find a tick on a loved one or a family member or a friend. Definitely, I would say to check out your page if you can link it. That is the best way to go about it if they find a tick on anyone. Obviously, you know, wearing tick repellent, that's become very common. I know there are organic brands now where they use more natural oils and stuff to keep ticks away if you're concerned about putting something harsh on your skin. And I think like regular tick checks are super important. Important. And in terms of just being a person who is surrounded by someone with Lyme disease, I think it's extremely important to be as supportive as you can. I've been so, so blessed to have a few good friends in my corner and an incredible family who has been so supportive of me. And if you know anybody who is going through what I've gone through in my story and so many others, I think it's just, it's, I will, I will never, I never expect people to understand it, but just try to listen and try to do your best maybe to research and just be a, be a positive support in that person's life. You don't have to understand it, but you have to be willing to listen and grow and learn. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Jacqueline Spacito. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Jacqueline Spacito and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at Jacqueline Spacito. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp interview with Jacqueline Spacito, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post.
Third, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates for our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, take a minute to leave an honest review and rating on iTunes. This is a new effort on our part, and we can really use your help when creating a show you would like to listen to. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.